the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book Four, Susan's Bridge. Chapter 22, Options. The calm sea reflected a cloudless sky. She stood, her feet a few inches above the water. Yet, she was able to walk or run above the water. She was astonished at how fast she could run. Her self-induced wind felt refreshing in the hot tropical sun. There was nothing on any horizon. Where was she running to? She coasted to a stop. Susan's eyes opened to a black room. That was weird. Dreaming about the heat, I guess, she thought. She kicked her legs out of the sleeping bag. Once dressed, Susan navigated down the narrow wooden stairs by feel. It was a dark square hole, even at noon. Dawn's light had only just begun. She had to push harder than before to get the door open. The door flew open, followed by a soft thud sound. In the yellow fringes of light from the oil lamp in the kitchen, she could see that a thin, rolled-up mattress had been set in front of the door. Cool, Susan said to herself. Is this for me? she called toward the kitchen. Eggs and cheese, called out an unseen Sandy. Ready in a few. Susan shrugged. She really didn't hear me, but, you know, whatever. This is quite the treat. She pushed the awkward load up the narrow stairs. Unrolled, it was only a little larger than her sleeping bag. It wasn't thick or plush, but it was soft. She slid her hand back and forth over the striped canvas. Oh, yeah, this'll be nice. Back in the kitchen, Sandy handed Susan an egg-and-cheese burrito. Use both hands. The flatbread's kind of thin these days. Trying to stretch the wheat, you see. Thank for a mattress, Susan said with her mouth full. Of course it matters, Sandy said over her shoulder. Don't want to spill your food on the floor. Susan rolled her eyes. Sandy didn't understand again. Susan concentrated on chewing. Tuck is going to have the morning milking done in a while, Sandy said. Help me with the cream separator? Mm-hmm. Susan tried to catch the scrambled egg crumbles, so none of it would go to waste. Oh, good. Neither Ed or Flo are much help with the chores around here. I was going to go and scout for some more pine trees, Susan said. She licked her fingers to get the last of the gooey cheese. Well, don't go too far. I'll give a holler when it's time. Gotta do it while it's warm. Susan stood at the edge of the road, taking a mental inventory of the pine trees between the road and the stream. Which of them would be the bark donor for the day? A high voice called out from down the hill. Aaron waved with both arms and picked up her pace. Hey, cool, Aaron said. I was kind of on my way here, so I wanted to stop and say hi. Uh, pretty neat that you were standing outside, all obvious-like. Susan chuckled. Oh, well, that's me. Obvious. Had your breakfast already? Oh, yeah. They eat really early around here, before it gets light even. Never would have thought of cheese as a breakfast food, but I was too hungry to care. 
Huh, milk is great. Nathan has milk cows, so there's more milk than we can drink. And Blake, he drinks a lot. He's such a pig. Tucker milks his goats, Susan said. So we've got goat cheese and goat butter. Paul has cows, too, but they're beef cattle. What's the difference? Um, Susan had no idea. Does one have less milk or more meat? And don't say that one of them is more beefy, Aaron said with a teenly head waggle. <laughs> I was about to say that. Yeah, well, don't. Blake says dumb stuff all the time, just to make me mad. Well, I certainly don't want to make you mad. How about we go find out for ourselves, Susan asked. She pointed to the long blue barn behind her. Paul keeps them there. Cool. Susan pulled one of the sliding doors aside, enough for the two of them to slip inside. The inside of the barn felt very cold, damp, and smelled very strongly of cow. Her eyes hadn't adjusted to the dark interior yet, but she could make out the silhouettes of several cows against the open far end of the barn. The silhouette of Paul stood bent over the feeding trough. Hi, Paul, called Susan. I brought my friend Aaron to look at your cows. Paul quickly finished pouring from a five-gallon bucket and hurried out the side door. Is he like uh, special needs or something? Aaron asked cautiously. No, at least I don't think so. Sandy said he doesn't talk much. These cows don't look any different to me. Aaron stepped up on a low rail of a board fence. They're just brown. Nathan's are brown and white. Oh, speaking of Nathan, how are you guys getting along down there? Oh, really good, Aaron beamed. The wood stove is so warm, and Nathan is really nice, of course. I think he's a little scared, too. Uncle Rupert stops in now and then, and then he gives him this really mean look. He doesn't say anything, just looks around and leaves. It makes Mom laugh. Nathan doesn't laugh. He just breaks out in a sweat. That makes Mom laugh more. I really like to hear her laugh. Oh, glad to hear it, Susan said. She patted one curious cow's head. Not that Nathan is sweating so much, but I guess that's good, too. Why? Um, it means the house is plenty warm enough? Susan didn't intend to begin discussing the problem of hanky-panky. Yeah, it's nice and warm. I am so glad you came along and saved us. Aaron patted the cow, too although a sudden wet nose grossed her out. Ew! She shook her hand and wiped it on the fence board. Oh, I don't know about saving anyone. Susan felt embarrassed at the notion of her saving anyone. Well, you did, because we were totally without options back at that cabin. But look where you got us. And don't say in a barn with cows. Aaron leveled a stern stare at Susan. Susan chuckled. <laughs> I wasn't going to. She reached into the feed trough to hand a curious cow some feed. Mixed into the sweet-smelling hay were kernels of corn. Oh, was that feed corn he was bringing in? I can't stay, Aaron hopped off the fence. Just wanted to say hi. I was on my way to go get Allie. She's one of Uncle Rupert's grandkids. She's fourteen, too. We're going hiking up in the high pasture. Come down and visit us sometime, maybe tomorrow. I'll show you our room and Nathan's cows. She leaned forward and lowered her voice to secret-telling levels. They all look the same to me. 
Susan smiled to see Aaron skipping and leaping like a carefree girl. She turned to wave as she slid the big door open. Like many kids, she didn't close the door behind herself. Susan rolled her eyes and began to trudge toward the door. It wouldn't do to have one of Paul's cows get loose. It was then that she noticed that the barn was almost empty. Paul had his cows penned into the rear quarter of the barn. The front three quarters was empty. So maybe he has less floor area to scoop poop off of? was her best non-farmer guess. As she walked, the low sidelight from the partially open door cast a shadow onto the curved bottom of two curious dents in the dirt floor. Another pair of dents lay about six feet closer to the door. On a hunch, she brushed aside some loose straw with her boot. Sure enough, there were matching pairs of dents about six feet to the right, two more dents ahead of those. There were two single dents near the door and two more pairs of dents back by the fence. Someone parked a semi in here. She squinted at the dents. She hadn't seen any semis around five corners. Just keep turning the handle at a slow and steady speed, like I showed you, said Sandy. She carefully poured a two-gallon bucket of goat's milk into the hopper of the separator. Well, that's good. I'm going to pull the stopper now. She plucked up a peg at the center of the hopper. Susan could feel the crank get harder to turn as the milk ran down inside the spinning disks. Watery white milk flowed down one curved trough and splashed into a metal bowl. A trickle of cream ran down the other curved trough. It dribbled into a quart jar. Say, Susan asked casually, do any of you here at Five Corners use trucks? Uh, trucks? Oh, shoot, no, said Sandy without looking up. Nice cream this time. Gonna make some pretty butter. Yeah, no, the boys stopped driving back in November. Tried to save what was left of the fuel. Nathan takes his horses into town with our assessments and to get things. Rupert still uses that black monster to run his sawmill. Sandy shook her head and laughed. He even thinks he's going to get it to drive again. <laughs> Said he's going to plow Elijah's fields with it in the spring. No trucks, eh? Susan mused. Can I stop cranking now? The hopper is empty. Well, let me run the milk back through and make sure we got all the cream. Keep cranking. I thought I saw Paul giving his cows feed corn today, Susan said. Yep, he thinks he's being judicious. I told him he's just being stingy. He's got a huge bin of it in the old barn. Huge bin, eh? You guys interested in making hominy? Susan asked. At supper, hot hominy with butter and salt was an excellent icebreaker. Flo finished her story about Montreal. Susan felt more comfortable talking, too. So, I've been thinking I'm too hung up on bridges, she said. I mean, there's miles and miles of river. I should be thinking of finding a boat to get across, or maybe making myself a raft. Of course, this time of year, there's a huge risk of hypothermia if I ever fall into the river. I think the feds are worried about boats, too, said Tucker. He buttered a strip of flatbread. After that hullabaloo down in Mass... They were going all up and down the river, confiscating small boats and canoes. If they couldn't haul it off, they shot holes in it with a 12-gauge. Boy, people were really mad about that. But what are they going to do? Well, nothing, that's what, said Sandy. 
People were talking about one old guy who was shouting and carrying on. Remember him? Yeah, no one's seen him since. Susan stirred her hominy lazily. I'll think of something. A guy I knew never let complications ruin his plan. Connors was his name. No one else broke the rhythm of their eating. Paul, however, stopped with his fork halfway into his mouth. He didn't look up, but she could see his eyes darting around. I'm bound to find a way across, one way or another, she continued. A friend of Connor's told me that I would probably always get my way because I'm stubborn. His name was Charon, she cast another sideways glance. Paul stopped chewing for a long moment. He pushed his not-empty plate away, stood, and slid silently out the door toward the barn. That's strange, said Sandy, as she pulled Paul's plate over to hers. He usually cleans his plate. She scraped his leftovers onto her plate. Looks like he liked the hominy well enough. Yeah, that's all gone. Susan chewed her food more than it needed to be, as she thought. So, Paul knows Connors and Charon. He must have hidden one or more of the longboat trucks in his barn. That means he's connected to the operation in some way. How much and what does that mean? The sound of the barn door latching shut woke Susan from her light sleep. She pushed cautiously at the stair door. There was nothing propped against the door that time. There was a new smell, however. She snuffled rapidly, like a dog tracking a scent. Is that coffee? Atop the middle house's little wood stove sat a ceramic mug with a saucer acting like a cover. Susan lifted the saucer and breathed in deeply. Roasted dandelion coffee was passable. Acorn coffee was okay. None of those make-do drinks could compare with real coffee. She missed the mellow, almost bitter taste. She sipped as she walked into the kitchen, intending to gush thanks at Sandy for making such a treat. Sandy's puzzled look distracted her. Is something wrong? Susan asked. No. Sandy stared down the hall with a furrowed brow. Then why do you look like you forgot where you put your car keys? Ah, there must be something magic about corn. Susan sipped again and raised one eyebrow. Magic corn? Paul came down this morning and said, Good morning. Oh, it's been ages since he said that. Then he said he enjoyed the hominy last night. You know how long it's been since he said he actually liked anything? Um, of course you wouldn't know, but it's been a huge long time. I was thinking it was the corn. Changed something inside him. Then he comes up with a packet of coffee. You guys still have coffee stashed away? Susan took another sip. She hoped the answer was yes. Oh, no, we ran out before Christmas. Susan held out her cup. Well, then, uh... Paul just came up with that a couple of days ago. He does that sometimes. I asked him where he got it. He gave me that look, that don't-ask-questions look. Like a couple of weeks ago, Rupert was talking about needing to fix the pinion gear on his old J.I. case. No one's made those in 80 years. Where's he going to find one of those? Yet, last week, Paul came up with one. He didn't say anything. For all Rupert knows, it just dropped out of heaven and landed on the case's seat. But I knew it was Paul. He was gone overnight. And then when he came back, that gear was down there. Ever since the power went out, there's been something a little different about him. 
Susan's wheels turned. Five or six days ago, did you hear some big trucks at night, probably? But Paul gave you that look? Sandy flashed a piercing look at Susan. You weren't here, then. How could you know? Just a guess. Pretty darn good guess, if you ask me. Something a little different about you, too. Yeah, no offense. Well, none taken. Susan smiled into her cup. I've been told I don't fit into the usual categories. Sandy chuckled. <laughs> that sounds like a nice way of saying someone's strange. I thought so, too, but I'm no expert. Well, maybe you could fetch me a bucket of corn from the crib? If eating corn is going to loosen up that oddball brother of mine, I want to get more of that going right away. She handed Susan a two-gallon bucket. Corn cribs in the far corner of the old barn. Can't miss it. While scooping dry corn into the bucket, Susan could see, out of the dirty barn window, Paul was forking hay onto a small sled. Her eyes narrowed. She had an idea. She rushed back into the kitchen and set the bucket on the table. Hey, what's your hurry? Sandy called out, but Susan was gone. Susan jogged out the front door, down the road, and around to the big sliding doors of the blue barn. She hurried to the back wall. Through the side door window, she could see Paul dragging his hay sled up to the door. She stood flat against the hinge side wall. Paul pushed the door open. He backed in, tugging to get his load of hay through the door with minimal spillage. He didn't turn around, but busied himself forking hay into the trough. Susan waited until he was nearly done before she spoke. Hi, Paul. Paul turned around, startled. He looked at his not-empty sled, then the open door, the not-full trough, the door, then took two steps toward the open door. Susan pushed it shut with her boot. I've got a question for you. Paul looked around nervously, like a trapped animal. He glanced at the opening in the barn door behind the fence, as if contemplating jumping the fence to get out. It's no use running, Susan said. I'm stubborn. I'll keep asking. Might as well get it over with. Paul squared up his hips and shoulders to face Susan. He had his head down, as if bravely awaiting punishment. Oh, it's not that bad, Susan chided. I just want to talk. You were part of Operation Longbow, weren't you? She waited. Paul didn't answer. He looked up with what Susan guessed was his don't-ask-questions look that Sandy referred to. Don't want to answer, eh? Maybe you guys swore some sort of oath that you'd never admit to doing anything. I suppose that's wise. I mean, there could be fed informants around. So how about if I do the talking? Paul glanced up at her. Well, I'm going to talk anyhow. Let's see if I've got things straight. You met Connors when you were serving overseas in Bosnia. You probably met Charon over there, too. You guys hit it off. Maybe you had a shared knack for organization, but you returned home. You and Connors kept in touch now and then, but no big deal. Just another army buddy. Then, after this outage hit, you found a way to keep in touch, to check in with Connors. There's an old guy who lives up on a hill nearby. He's got a good ham radio set up and lots of far-flung connections. I'll bet the old ham guy has a wife who wishes he had a different hobby. She went out on a limb that Walter and Sally might be typical of ham operators. 
Paul looked up, eyes a little wider. The limb was holding. His eyes stayed up. They were blue. Through your old ham guy, you found out about the operation that the coalition states were planning. Connors contacted you about being part of it. He wanted you to be a staging area for the incoming trucks of food that were going to break the siege and get into New Hampshire. You said yes. They could hide in your blue barn. You moved all the stall fences down to one end to make room for a truck. The trucks arrived near dawn and stayed until the next night or whenever Connors ordered them in. Paul's mouth fell open slightly. Susan was encouraged. She was connecting the dots. You probably heard that Charon was coming to take charge of a local operation, but that he had to get a local guide to solve the last leg of the journey. The operation worked, except the feds got wind of it right at the end, and everyone scattered. You were told to lay low and not say anything to anyone. How am I doing so far? Paul's open mouth was answer enough. See, it's no use trying to keep secrets from me, she said casually. Reading minds is just one of my superpowers. Paul gave a skeptical raise of one eyebrow. Okay, oh, not always super. I was that guide Charon brought down. Susan leaned against the fence and patted a cow's head. I was supposed to get back across the river. Yeah, but I screwed up. Charon wanted me to go back to the coalition states, but I stubbornly wanted to get back into New Hampshire. Every time I tried, I failed. It seemed like there was a curse or something that kept getting in the way. Paul took a step back and rested his arm on the fence. He no longer looked like a trapped animal. He looked curious. What gnaws at me, she said, is something Charon said. He said that Longbow was strictly a one-time deal, a single shot at helping the people in New Hampshire. I felt like I screwed up, that if I hadn't been so... She shook her head. Things would have gone smoother, and there might have been more than just one chance to get help in. Charon's wrong, Paul said quietly. Susan looked over quickly. He can talk. She faced him with a firm stare. Do you mean that there's some other operations in the works? Paul looked away without answering. Okay, okay, so you can't talk about it, she said. I get that. But what could it be, she asked herself. No, maybe Charon was half right. He said they couldn't pull off anything big like Longbow again, because the feds would be watching for big stuff. Susan recalled what Sandy was saying about mysterious pinion gears and coffee appearing. You're part of something smaller and sneakier, aren't you? She squinted and raised one finger to point at him. Paul glanced up with his don't-ask-questions look. Susan waved her hands to dismiss the look. Oh, don't give me that look. You're part of some underground network of some kind. You and your old ham guy. Dots connected in her mind as she spoke. I'll bet the network of people Connors put together for Longbow didn't want to be done. They liked being connected and doing stuff. And you might as well stop giving me that look, because every time you do, you know you're only confirming that I'm right. Paul looked confused for a moment. She had disqualified his primary defense. She wondered if the leftover network wanted to act as a supplier to the Brattleboro area black market. If they could come up with an 80-year-old gear, what could they not come up with? Or 
did they plan subtle ways to undermine Fed control. They were tied to the coalition, after all. Perhaps others back in the coalition states were somehow backing this network, like the French resistance in World War II. Perhaps they still wanted New Hampshire to survive, despite the siege. Paul forked the last of his hay into the trough. He pulled the sled's rope to turn it. Susan stepped out of his way. She had already gotten more answers than she had expected. She had a lot to think about. Paul turned in the open doorway. You're always talking about going back to New Hampshire. He paused to look her in the eye. What's so bad about Five Corners? He held her gaze for a moment, then turned to go. Hey, what are you doing? gasped Sandy. Hauling in firewood, replied Susan. To the kitchen table? Huh? Susan looked down to see her armload of logs atop the wooden table. Bark bits created a dirty halo on the table. Oh, man, that's not right. Sorry. She restacked the logs on her arm and pushed the bits to the edge of the table. I'll get those. Sandy rushed over with a damp rag before Susan could rake them onto her clean floor. Susan placed her load of logs on the rack beside the cook stove. I guess I was too lost in my thoughts. Well, maybe you should get your head out of the clouds before you make a big mess. We do need one more load of wood, but this time, put it in the rack. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Sorry. Uh, One more load, right. Susan shuffled out the door. Her face was hot from a full blush. That was embarrassing. Not good for a guest to make messes. Susan slowly loaded her arms with logs from the woodpile. Aaron ran down the road. She slid to a stop when she saw Susan. There you are. I was coming to get you. Aaron ran over and pulled at Susan's arm. Hey, you made me drop them in the snow, Susan protested. She stooped to pick up the spilled logs, but Aaron had a Maury eel's grip on Susan's elbow. You can get them later. I've got something to show you. Come on. Aaron tugged relentlessly. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on where? What is so... She buffered her choice of words. Uh, important. Allie and I saw it while we were hiking. She had to go home, but I just knew I had to come get you and show you too. That doesn't tell me what's so important. No, Aaron giggled. You'll just have to come and see for yourself then, huh? She tugged harder on Susan's coat. Oh, fine. Susan shook her elbow free. I suppose you're not going to leave me alone until I come and see what you found. Nope. Might as well come. Aaron turned to run up the road a few steps before turning back to make sure Susan was following. Geez, look at you. You walk like an old woman, Aaron teased. Oh, yeah? Susan sprinted after Aaron. Susan intended to catch the impish girl by the collar and throw her in the snow. That would show her who was an old woman. Her plan was hindered by Aaron's speed. Up this way! Aaron turned off the road and ran up a trudge path. The trail meandered up through the high pasture. Okay, let's stop running, Susan said. She was out of breath. I promise I'll come to see whatever it is you found. Okay, you promised. Susan rolled her eyes. This isn't another dead bird, is it? Like the other day? I didn't know. I thought you could cook it or something, Aaron said. It had been dead for weeks. What do I know about eating wild stuff? You're the survival expert, not me. 
Susan was going to say that she was no survival expert, but she was no longer a clueless city girl either. Okay, said Aaron. She studied the snow along the trudge path. It's right around here. Susan squinted at the snow beside the path. It was smooth and featureless. I don't see anything. Aaron stopped. That's because... She stood and turned around and pointed with her arm outstretched. It's over there! Susan followed her point. Over the top of the wooded hills loomed a blue-gray mountain. It's your mountain! Aaron giggled again. Ellie and I saw it when we were hiking. She had no idea what it was, but I did. I just knew I had to show you. My mountain? Susan said to herself. Yeah, ain't it great? You looked so sad when we were coming out here that you couldn't see it anymore. I knew it was like a sign of home for you. But you don't have to be sad anymore. You can come up here and see it whenever you want. My mountain? It was clearly the outline of Mount Montasticate. They weren't all that far inland after all. New Hampshire wasn't that far away. Ever since she left Cheshire to help with Operation Longbow, she had imagined that she would return. At first, her return felt like a mixed bag. She would be glad to be back where she felt comfortable and cared for, but she knew she was a burden. After her ordeals with the bridge and afterwards, she imagined her return as triumphal. She could hunt and provide. She could be one of the producers, not just another of the hungry mouths. Somehow, she could beat the curse and get back. But how much did they really need another hunter? How much did they need another bark harvester? She could contribute in those ways, but that didn't seem like all that much. On the other hand, Paul was clearly part of some underground network. Perhaps she could orchestrate getting valuable supplies into New Hampshire. She knew about Walter and his network. She could probably even arrange to get things to Cheshire. As much as she wanted to get across the river, past the mountains, and back to Cheshire, she wondered if she might be more valuable to them where she was. She looked down into the little valley. Smoke curled up from Elijah's house. She could hear faint clanking from Rupert's sawmill. He was working on his steam engine. Beyond Nathan's little red house, she could see someone trying to herd the cattle into the barn. Paul was clacking two sticks together to herd his cattle out to the water trough. Elijah's extended family had a tidy little hamlet nestled in between the hills. So, Aaron interrupted her thoughts, I bet that coming up here to look at your mountain will help you think of something. I bet right now you're working on a plan for how you'll get across the river. Huh? Susan put her arm around Aaron's shoulders. Oh, I don't know. What's so bad about Five Corners? And that's the end of Book Four, Susan's Bridge. I've got a couple of bonus ideas in mind for the next couple of episodes before we start into Book Five. And I'd like to share the results of the survey. Thanks to all of you listeners who gave me your answers and your input. It was interesting how some of the questions that you came up with tended to cluster around a couple of topics, so we'll uh, give a deep dive into those. I look forward to talking to you next week.